It was a cold and rainy night in March. My family and I were just leaving a church conference in a town we were unfamiliar with and going to a hotel we had never stayed at before. We were driving on the interstate to get there, uh, through the rain, looking between the wiper blades for the exit that would take us to the hotel. And then all of a sudden, there was the exit. And in a split second, I decided I had time to make it. So I hit the brake and turned hard right onto the exit ramp, and we went into a skid. What happened in the next little while probably took no more than about five seconds, but it seemed like an eternity. We skidded along, and, and so I corrected for the skid, but in correcting for the skid, as the ramp was continuing to turn to the right, I kept going further to the left, tried again to get back on the ramp, and I was wrestling between staying on the ramp and losing control of the car as we headed toward the embankment. Finally, the thump of reflector posts on the side of my car let me know that we were right on the edge of the embankment, and there the car stopped. It's a terrible feeling to be out of control. It may last just a short time, but it seems to go on forever. And afterwards, you find out just how close to disaster you really were and just how much your loss of control is going to cost you. Have you been there? Out of control? It doesn't just happen in a car. It can happen in a lot of different places and a lot of different ways. Our finances can get out of control, get caught up in a cycle of charging payments and paying the minimum amount on your credit card each month, experiencing terribly high interest rates on what you've borrowed. Being out of control can happen in the area of our temptations, whatever your particular temptation may be. You try to overcome it, but Time after time, the temptation keeps presenting itself and you feel yourself weakening. It can happen with your anger. Things have been building up for a while and then something happens that triggers an absolute avalanche and you're out of control. It's a terrible and helpless feeling to be out of control. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament tells us in practical ways how to avoid losing control in life. And it does it repeatedly by steering us back to God to come under his lordship, his authority in our lives in the practical affairs of day-to-day -day living. The Apostle Paul understood that. When he told the Corinthians, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We want to bring it all under the lordship of Christ. The book of Proverbs tells us in very practical terms just how we can take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. By gaining godly wisdom. 
We're going to talk about godly wisdom for the next eight weeks. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament book of Proverbs. We're going to look today at this idea of godly wisdom, just what the Proverbs are all about. Next week, we'll consider the wise man and the fool and the paths that, that they both walk. And then we'll pick up some themes. We'll look at wisdom for the home and then wisdom for the eyes and the ears and the tongue and the hands and our relationships as well. These next eight weeks, I'm looking forward to unpacking the book of Proverbs with you. Let me set the stage briefly by describing what Proverbs are and what they're not and what they're intended to do for us. A proverb is a special type of literature. We've been studying the Gospel of John. That is a special type of literature, gospel. Uh, there are other types of literature in the Bible. You have prophecy, you have narrative, you have poetry. Proverbs is different from all of those. And it's not hard to tell apart from other types of literature. A proverb typically has four characteristics. The first is that it's brief. It's, it's brief. Uh, let's take a non-biblical proverb for example. Uh, one that is familiar to all of us. Uh, you've heard it a million times. Like father, what? Like son. Like father, like son. It's a proverb. Non-biblical, but it's a proverb. And it gets the, across an idea that could fill a whole book, but it gets it across in four simple words. Very brief. It's rare for a proverb to have more than 25 words. If it has more than 25, it's probably not a proverb. It's probably a parable. A proverb tries to express a maximum amount of wisdom with a minimum number of words. And that makes it easy to remember. So it sticks. So it's brief. Second characteristic, it's concrete. Uh, like father, like son, is anchored in reality. Uh, we recognize it instantly. We can relate to it because it speaks of the kind of life we're living. Proverbs arise out of human experience. And they're fresh and they're colorful and they're easy to recall. And those that aren't don't last. So they're brief, they're concrete. Third, Characteristic of a proverb is it conveys a general truth. Like father, like son, we recognize as being generally true. Is it true all the time? No. But it generally rings true. Fathers and sons generally do have similarities. Physical resemblance, similar temperaments, similar behaviors. But we probably have all met people who, thankfully, are nothing like their father when a son isn't like his father, does it make the proverb wrong? No. No, proverbs are generalizations drawn from experience, so they're bound to have exceptions. But most of the time, they ring true. Enough so that sometimes the exception proves the rule, right? When a son is nothing like his father, we go, whose kid is this? So a proverb conveys a general truth. One last characteristic is that a proverb can be applied to a number of different situations. 
they, they are applied broadly, a diverse application. Like father, like son applies to other relationships besides a father and a son. And so, um, um, you'll, you'll see similar uh, application in, in a relationship, say, between a coach and an athlete. Like coach, like athlete. Like teacher, like student. Like pastor, like congregation. Uh, like father, like son applies to all of those. And it says something that is true of each of them. So a diverse application. So a proverb, then, is a short statement that expresses a general truth through a specific example. Let me tell you a couple things that a proverb is not. Uh, first thing it's not is a commandment. It's not a commandment. Um, very few proverbs actually tell us what to do. They generally describe life as, as Solomon sees it. And they generally state observations but even when they do give advice, they're not absolute laws for all occasions. In uh, Proverbs 22, uh, verse 7, um, let me read it for you. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Uh, I knew a guy who applied this as a commandment. And when we were getting ready to build a second phase of the church building in Wausau, he said, we can't borrow money to do it. It needs to be cash on the barrel head because the, slave, or the borrower is slave to the lender. He wanted to make this proverb more than a proverb. He wanted to make it a commandment for us. But a proverb isn't a commandment. They're not absolute laws that are set for all occasions. They do have exceptions. Let me give you one in particular. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Put that up there. Look at that one. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be like him. Next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. What do you do with that? Do you answer a fool? Or don't you? You've just been told not to, and then you've been told to do it. If both of them are to be applied 100% of the time, we've got a problem with the reliability of Scripture. But if we're wise, we'll recognize that there are some fools we answer and some fools we don't. And generally, you can't win if you're dealing with a fool. A proverb is not a commandment. A proverb is also not a promise does God unconditionally guarantee the performance of every proverb? No, because a proverb is a general observation about life. It's not a promise. One of the proverbs that's most often claimed as a, proverb, or as a promise is chapter 22, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. It's generally true. That's why it's there. But it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. This particular verse in Proverbs has caused parents a lot of grief when their kids are young adults. And they blame themselves and they say, I must have blown it when this child was young. Must have failed in terms of bringing this child up in the right way because 
This child has not stayed with the way that I have raised him or her. Not necessarily. Your son, your daughter may still come around when he or she matures a bit. They're not old yet. Then again, they may not because the proverb is not a promise. The intent is to train children early, to give them some tracks to run on, trusting that it will pay off later, even though we may not see the results. The other side of the coin, besides making it a promise, is to make the verse say something it really isn't saying so that it proves right all the time. There's one translation that renders this verse, uh, start off a child according to his bent. According to his bent. In other words, just discern where the child is going and, and keep him going there. Well, that kind of robs the proverb of every bit of content that it might have. No real teaching in it at that point. Neither solution is right because a proverb isn't a promise. Proverbs are general guidelines to help us have successful and productive lives. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at at some vignettes in the book of Proverbs with those ideas in mind to show us how we can gain control in our lives as we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We'll find that Solomon's heart is to have people choose wisdom. That, in essence, is the purpose of the book. Let's look at the first six verses of Proverbs. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are a couple guys that are going to be coming down the aisles uh, with Bibles. Uh, Grab one. Just catch their attention, and they'll give you one. And uh, if you have one of these... uh, that they're passing out, you'll find Book of Proverbs on page 438. 438. Proverbs chapter 1. Let's just look at the first six verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Solomon tells us several things that he has that he wants to help us to gain as we look at the book of Proverbs. We find them in these first six verses, and and the first of them is perspective. He wants us to gain perspective. Verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction. Gaining wisdom and instruction. That word instruction is is better rendered discipline, getting discipline in our lives, uh, correction in our lives. The Hebrew word means training with accountability. So it's more than instruction. There's some accountability there. The idea is to shape us. And so wisdom and instruction or wisdom and discipline, those things go hand in hand. 
and we'll see them combine many times in our study in the book of Proverbs. Think of a time when you got disciplined. Did you enjoy it? Probably not. Did you gain from it? Probably did. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Perspective. Uh, these, uh, these things combine wisdom and instruction or wisdom and discipline to give us perspective. Our parents disciplined us to train us, to shape us, to help us see things that we at the time were not able to see. And God does the same. And he does it through the godly counsel of wise friends. He does it through our learning from the mistakes we make. He does it through the suffering that he allows into our lives. All of those things give us perspective in life that we didn't have before that episode came to us. Perspective is a wonderful thing. Mark Twain said, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> perspective. Proverbs helps us benefit from all sorts of situations, helps us see them all from God's perspective. That's what we want to gain. Another thing that Solomon wants us to gain through our study of Proverbs is common sense. Common sense. Again, from verse 2, for understanding and words of insight. And that word insight means seeing into things, figuring things out. When I was in college, I worked on a farm one summer, and the farm manager was a young guy who had decided that uh, college students knew nothing, that they might be full of book learning, but college was a waste of time, and so anybody who would go to college might have some book learning, but he wouldn't have any common sense. And so over that whole summer, he set me up for one failure after another because he'd send me into something that I hadn't experienced before and give me no instructions for what to do. And so I lived up to his every expectation, and I'm sure he's still convinced that college students don't know a thing. Head full of book learning, but no common sense. Well, it's not an either-or. You don't have to be devoid of book learning to have common sense. Proverbs are intended to help us see into things. They get us beyond surface appearances to grasp what's really going on. So insight is the ability to see into things. We can gain insight through the experiences of others if we're only willing to listen. You'll hear the encouragement to listen repeatedly through the book of Proverbs. Someone once said the average person has five senses, sight, smell, hearing, touch, taste. The above average person has two more, horse and common. Proverbs will help us develop those last two senses. 
when we have insight, then we can discern not only between right and wrong, but between good, better, and best. And it will keep us from being fooled as we see into the things around us. So, perspective, common sense. Third thing Solomon wants us to gain is godliness. Godliness. Verse 3, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. We're talking about an overall lifestyle here. We're talking about application of common sense, actually living out what you know to be true. It's possible to know lots of things and still not be wise. It's possible to have a head full of theology and be devoid of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We need to live out our faith. Proverbs will help us do that. The New Testament book of James has been called uh, the book of wisdom literature of the New Testament. It challenges us to more than believing the right things. It challenges us to put our faith into action. The fourth thing that Solomon wants us to gain is planning ability. Verse 4, forgiving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and direction to the young. That word prudence uh, can be translated shrewdness or resourcefulness, planning ability. We're talking about the ability to project our plans, to become purposeful, to live purposefully, to have, uh, it is possible to um, have a head full of things and, and not be able to project our plans. So what we want to do is to live purposefully, to know where we're going and why, and then how to get there. It's easy to fall into one of two errors when planning. First is overconfidence, and that's what causes us to rush headlong into something that we haven't thought through well. The other extreme is the paralysis of analysis, where we just look at something and, and freeze in our inability not to put it into practice, not to step forward with our plans. And the book of Proverbs will help us to gain the sort of humble wisdom that will allow us to plan and execute well. Fifth thing that Solomon wants us to gain is the ability to recognize the truth. Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Is it possible to have Knowledge without wisdom? It is. Is it possible to have wisdom without knowledge? Uh, not so much. You have to be knowledgeable about a subject before you can apply that knowledge wisely. Godly wisdom steers us to the source of truth, which is God's word. So we can recognize truth when we see it. It helps us live under God's authority. The sixth thing that Solomon wants us to gain is guidance. Verse 5 again, let the discerning get guidance. We all encounter crossroads moments in our lives where we know that whichever way we decide that issue, it's going to put us in a very different place down the road. 
Think about some of those crossroads moments in your own life. If, if you, uh, after high school, went on to college or trade school, what one would you choose? The answer to that question would land you in a very different place, depending on which one you chose. When you complete that training, what job do you uh, start working in? You, you may have had several to choose between. Which one you end up in will be very different, uh, put you in a different place than if you had chosen the other one. Uh, you look for a life partner. Which person do you want to spend life with? These critical crossroads decisions require great wisdom. And Proverbs gives us wisdom so that we can have guidance in those times. They're the biggest decisions we ever make in life, and we decide only when we are immersed in God's word to the point where we can become confident of what God's will is. When we can know for certain this is God's direction for us, we can step forward in confidence. One last um, uh, thing that Solomon wants us to gain is understanding. Verse 6 for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. For understanding. As we expose ourselves to the book of Proverbs and wisdom literature, we come to understand how to unlock it. Wisdom literature isn't a class by itself, and it often takes repeated exposure to it in order to unlock what it is saying. What do you do with the sort of statement we saw in Proverbs 26 about answering a fool? You look at it at face value and go, well, it's a contradiction. The Bible contradicts itself. Well, an author's not going to knowingly contradict himself in two consecutive sentences, right? It's, it's there to be unlocked. It's, it's a mystery to be figured out. When you look at it, through repeated exposure of the whole book of Proverbs, you come to see that a statement like that is really clever. It really is designed to make us think. But it's the repeated exposure that unlocks it for us, for our understanding. So there they are. Uh, Solomon has told us what he wants us to get out of his book. Perspective, common sense, godliness, planning, truth, guidance, and understanding. In other words, God's word isn't about facts to be learned, but truth to be lived. And the book of Proverbs can help us figure it out. Solomon states seven purposes for this book, but what's important is what those seven point to. All seven of those purposes of Proverbs have to do with gaining wisdom in our lives. Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon has now introduced an alternative to wisdom. It's folly. Or on the personal level, it's the fool. We'll look at him next week. But as we look at the book of Proverbs, we're going to see that people move either toward wisdom or toward folly and we do it every day of our lives through countless small choices that we make. Every day, we choose wisdom or folly. 
Every day we choose to be the wise man or the fool. I'm praying that our study in Proverbs will help us more consistently choose the way of wisdom. One last word. Regular input from God's word is essential. You won't get wisdom in your life if all you get of God's word is a half hour on Sunday morning. We need to take God's word in on a daily basis. I've recommended uh, an app for our phones called YouVersion that is really worth having. It's got hundreds and hundreds of studies on it, daily devotionals. I would really recommend downloading YouVersion onto your phone and using that. Pick a Bible plan and, and benefit from that. But here is an easy one that we can all do while we're studying the book of Proverbs together. And that is to read a chapter a day in the book of Proverbs. My challenge to you is to read one chapter from Proverbs every day for the rest of this series. Just follow the day of the month. Today is January 7th, so you read chapter 7. Tomorrow you'll read chapter 8. And every month you do that, you will have read the entire book of Proverbs. And after you've read the entire book of Proverbs several times, things will jump out of the page at you. You'll see themes, you'll see maxims, you'll, you'll get understanding that you didn't have when you started. What happens over time, as we do that, we saturate ourselves in God's word. We come to think like he thinks. We come to desire the things he desires. And we learn to stay away from the things that break his heart. It's a small investment with a huge payoff. Saturation is the key. We won't get there with just an hour a week sitting in this room. If we want to be wise, if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, if we want to gain godly wisdom and get control of our lives, we need to saturate ourselves in God's Word daily. So take me up on the challenge. Chapter a day till we're done with this series in Proverbs. Who knows? Maybe it'll become a regular habit for you. I think we all want wisdom. Nobody wants to play the fool but the culture that we live in sees us as the fools and itself as wise. It was the same in Bible times. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, 
the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The culture Paul lived in saw it the same way as the culture we live in. Look foolish to put your trust in someone who was crucified. I suppose it would be if that's where the story ended. But what Jesus did on that cross was to pay for your sin and mine. He took it on himself, and then he demonstrated his victory by rising from the dead. And he offers us a restored relationship with God based on the price he paid in taking your sin and mine on himself on that cross. All we need to do is to admit that we have fallen short of God's design for us, that we deserve the punishment that Jesus instead took, and then invite him to apply what he did on that cross to our account. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? It sounds even foolish. But human wisdom can't get anybody to God. Only a relationship with the one who went to the cross for us will. We're going to take some time now to remember what Jesus did on that cross through some very graphic symbols, a bit of bread that reminds us of his body that was given for us, a cup of juice that reminds us of the blood that paid for our sin. And if you've put your trust in Christ as Savior, this is open to you. We invite you to come, whether you're a regular attender or a member at the bridge or not. You're welcome here if you belong to Jesus. If you haven't put your trust in him, we invite you just to sit back and observe. But if you're ready to put your trust in him today, you can have a whole new start, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus, we're so glad that you welcome us to come to you, sinful as we are, recognizing that Jesus paid the full price for that sin. And Father, I just ask if there's anybody here this morning that has yet to put his or her trust in Jesus, that person right now would just say, Lord, I get it. I, I get it. I, I can't measure up to your perfect standard of righteousness. I, I am sinful, I am fallen, and I can't get out of this myself. And so I invite Jesus to apply to my life, to my account, what he did on that cross. Take my sin away. Forgive me. Come live in me. And let me live with you and serve you forever. So, Father, I just pray that um, all of us here in this room will have prayed a prayer like that and stand now forgiven in Christ. And as we take this bread and this cup to remember what he's done for us, let these graphic reminders prompt us to live a life that really honors and glorifies you. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
The Apostle Paul urges us before we come to the table of the Lord to examine our hearts, to take some time to come clean, to confess our sin, to thank God that he had the solution in hand before we ever came to be. So let's take a minute to do that. Let's just quietly pray. The worship team is going to start to play. And when you are ready, come. You're welcome to this table. Take these elements back to your seat and commune with God in a special way. The bread is underneath the cellophane cover. Just peel that back and you'll get to the bread. Then there's a foil cover that, that covers the juice and it's under that. So let's just take some time now to pray. When you're ready, come take these elements. They're for you.